0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is Andrew Tarvin. He's the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. He's worked with organizations like Procter & Gamble, GE, Microsoft, and hundreds of others. He's a best-selling author, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and um, I think American Hunter magazine. And he's delivered programs in 50 states, 20 countries, four continents, and at least one planet. He loves the color orange and is obsessed with chocolate. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception when it comes to humor and business. We're going to delve into the concept of can humor be taught or is it an innate skill? We'll talk about the four different styles of humor and a structure to know when and where to apply humor. You're going to learn a ton. It's a great time with Andrew Tarvin. Andrew Tarvin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. It's good to be here. Can you share with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it uh people that are surprised it depends on the context that they meet me in. If they meet me after I've spoken or after I've done a stand-up show or improv show, they are often surprised to find that I am very much an introvert. Uh if they meet me before they've ever seen me speak, Um, like if I'm, I was at a speaker dinner once and before I got up to perform the keynote, people met me. They were very surprised to find out that I was the, the humor speaker.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, and I think that so, so much of my experience in working with you is that you've got that engineering background, you're very process oriented. You're, you're incredibly thoughtful as you're talking to people. So you don't seem like the jovial, jerky Stereotypical comedian, but you're also really, really, really funny.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a nerd first. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, like, growing up, I was never the life of the party or class clown type person. I'm, you know, my, my senior year, I was voted teacher's pet. Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's something that I learned. You know, I learned humor later and and a decent amount of comedians are more introverted because part of comedy is, you know, seeing the world around you and making observations and then being able to articulate those observations. Like, I don't know, I I think of, um, you know, humor almost as like a logic problem or almost math with words. And uh, so when you have that kind of left brain thinking, it can be something that uh, you can find fun to do.
0: Yeah, and and I've had the I've had the good fortune of sitting in audiences when you're speaking, and every single person is just captivated, and just the the concepts that you share. That's why I was so excited to have you on the show. I said, "Man, people are going to learn a ton from you." So let's let's kind of dive into that. Yeah, let's what's, do it. What's the biggest misconception? Because we're talking about humor and business, and what's the greatest misconception that you see that people have when it comes to that intersection of humor and business?
1: Yeah, well, I'd say that there's, there's two, and one I'll just kind of speak on briefly. And the first misconception is that humor – the misconception that humor is like just an innate ability, that you're either born able to do it or not. And it's my belief that humor is a skill, which means it can be learned and kind of to the point that we just talked about. It's because I had to learn how to do it. Um, I've done over a 1,000 shows as a stand-up comedian, and I went to my high school union not too long ago. People found out that they did a good comedy, and they're like, but you're not funny. Uh, Right. Because it was like not how I not my persona or not my personality. I'm a type A blue square conscientious INTJ, if you know your personality assessments. Um, So I'm very much a nerd, but it is a skill and that it can be learned. So I think that's the first thing. And I think people kind of pick up on that pretty quickly. Like, oh, okay, this is something that I can learn to do. But I think maybe the bigger misconception or maybe the starting point is that a lot of people think of humor as kind of this nice to have Right. Like, oh, if I enjoyed my work a little bit more, if my meetings were a little bit more fun or that kind of stuff, it'd be nice. But, you know, work has to feel like work. And it's my belief that, you know, in today's overworked, underappreciated, stress filled, sleep deprived world, that humor is a must have because it makes us more productive, less stressed, happier. It gets us better results. And and also we spend far too much time at work not to enjoy the process a little bit.
0: I love that you. Touch on that because it's something that I'll often hear from people. Where, as as you know, when when I speak, I I inject a lot of humor, mostly because mm-hmm. I'm just innately sarcastic, mm-hmm. and and so and sometimes people say, "Well, are you concerned that's going to take away from the message?" And I'm always like, "I'm concerned that without it, people won't hear the message that comes after it."
1: Oh, absolutely. There's a. I think it was. A- I think it might have been Jeffrey Gittimer who said that at the end of uh, laughter is the height of listening, right? You get people laughing and they suddenly want something more. They want to hear what's kind of going on. Are you going to make me laugh next? And by the time you've told them a message that they needed to hear and they didn't really you know, and – they're like, oh, wait, that wasn't comedy. But that's something that I needed to hear that I needed to know.
0: Yeah, and, and so when, when you say that humor and comedy can be learned and that there's a science behind it. Walk us through a little bit of that because I guarantee there are listeners going, yeah, you know that that may be true, but I'm just not funny. So you know that's that's all good and well. I'm sure there's a science behind it, and the and the, the lab test is going to show not funny.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, there is there's it's it's like a lot of things. Right. There is an art and science to humor. And and it's hard to teach the art part. Right. The art part comes from your own, you know, sense of humor and from repetition and trying things. But the science part of it is, you know, simple things like structure, understanding that uh, comedy has a structure and it feels like a conversation that like, you know, there's a great um, I think it's a Mel Brooks quote that says that uh, happiness is having a caring, close knit, tight family family. In another city. <laughs> right? Great line. Uh, that only works like that, joke would not work if it was happiness is having a family in another city who is carrying close knit and tight, right? Uh, it doesn't have the right structure to it. So, certain things like learning structure or learning a very common thing of a comic triple. So, a comic triple is where you, you uh, give a list of three things and the third thing is a little bit of a surprise. So, for example, uh, I'll sometimes joke that, uh, you know, I'm an engineer, right? As a kid, I used to like to take things apart, things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage, right? <laughs> exactly. And that last one, parents' marriage, is a surprise, right? People are not expecting it. So there's certain structures and things that we can learn. You can learn kind of the, the basis of juxtaposition, of setup and punchline. Like there's, there's this background stuff that you can learn that through practice and repetition you get better at
0: yeah and And I guess there's a difference between jokes and humor Oh, for sure, yeah, so one
1: of the misconceptions around humor as people think of it is just comedy, which is probably you know the biggest part of humor humor but humor is more broad than comedy the the definition of it is a comic absurd or incongruous quality causing amusement which is basically means it's anything that is like funny or something maybe a little bit silly or even something just a little bit different that gets people to pay attention right like simply starting with the story as you're meeting people it doesn't even have to necessarily have to be the funniest story but the fact that you started with a story instead of like right into some sub- into boring content is going to p- get people to pay attention a little bit more. People who wear like, you know, sometimes people wear interesting socks or like an interesting watch. These are all incongruous pieces that just kind of piques people's curiosity and and leads to more interest than just kind of doing things a normal, boring way.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I remember there was a, um, I think it's, I think it's the guys that Sandler teaches principle where when, when someone's making a cold call one of the first things they tell people to do, and you could argue whether cold calls are relevant today or not. We don't have time for that, that, that yeah. debacle of a debate. Um, but they, w- they would – the, someone would answer the phone. They'd say, hey, by the way, this is a sales call. Do you want to hang up? And people, <laughs> would, people would laugh, which bought them the seven seconds to give enough of a spiel that people would give them 30 seconds to hear what they really had to say.
1: Oh, for sure. And that's that's a level of so one of the the great things about using humor is that when you can make your audience laugh subconsciously or consciously, you're like, oh, this person gets me. So for that person to start with, this is a sales call. Do you want to hang up? They're like, oh, okay." they understand that it's not, you know, I don't live for sales calls. I'm not sitting around waiting for my phone to ring. And it's like, oh, is that a potential date? No, I'm going to hang up on that person. I'm waiting for someone to pitch me on something. Right, They're like, oh, OK, they get that it's not necessarily a fun process, but because they've made me laugh, because they've entertained me a little bit, uh, I'm willing to give them a little bit more time. And so that's a great benefit to humor. And I think one of the other things that uh, is maybe a misconception around humor, a big thing that I, I focus on is that we can use humor for specific goals. Like it's not just – I'm an engineer by training, background in computer science and engineering, and I don't train humor or teach humor because it's fun. It's a nice added bonus, but I do it because it works, and specifically it works with the hardest resource I've ever had to work with, which is other humans. <laughs> and so we can be specific about rather than just using humor because we want to, right? that's a great use of humor to get people to pay attention, or we might use humor as a way to build rapport quickly with people, or we might use humor as a way to improve understanding of a complex topic or whatever it happens to be, or maybe to, to boost the energy in a meeting. Right? We can have these specific goals. And that's one of the other things like a lot of times people are like, all right, well, how do you make sure that you use appropriate humor? And part of that is knowing what you're using humor for and going after a specific kind of goal.
0: So so give us some examples of where where in the business world Humor can be effective, and I'm sure we can argue that it can be effective everywhere. But what are where the where are the places that people might not necessarily see it as an obvious place for humor? And then, to the extent you can share examples of look, so people could have done it this way in the past, and with a little bit of humor, it changes to this, which you know changes the mood, gets people more engaged, et cetera.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that you know one starting point is that you can use humor in your own own work, right? So sometimes people are like worried with what about if like we don't have a culture of humor. What you know, the number one reason why people don't use humor in the workplace is because they're they're worried that their boss or coworkers wouldn't approve, because it just hasn't been a culture of humor. And so part of that is is one I've learned that people are desperate for humor. They're, they did a survey and they found that ninety eight percent of CEOs prefer job candidates with the sense of humor. But that doesn't necessarily come across in the culture. But even if you do work in a place that you can't, one is your own personal productivity right? as a way to stay more engaged at work. So, for example, if I get bored in email, I start to read each of my emails in a different accent in my head. (laughs) right? And I'm terrible at accents, but it's something fun just to keep myself engaged. And that's increasing my productivity because it's allowing me to do a task a little bit longer and stay engaged on it. Um, you know, podcasts are great where it's like, you know, people can be intentional about listening to a comedy podcast on their way home from work so that they start to relieve stress. So they show more, show up more present for their family when they get there. Right. So you can use it to manage your stress as well. So there's certain things that you can do that are just for you. That's going to increase your workplace satisfaction as well as your productivity and your managing to your stress and all that kind of stuff. So that's one easy place to kind of start. Um, But then you can also use it for communication skills, right, for getting people to pay attention or to respond. I like um, speaking of kind of cold emails, I get a cold or cold calls. I get a cold email from someone and a week later they followed up with uh, I don't know if you know the John Travolta kind of meme where it's a. the picture from John Travolta, uh, from Pulp Fiction. And it's him just kind of looking around. Yeah. Um, and someone sent me to that as a GIF just to kind of say, Hey, where are you? Yeah. No other response, but it was something that like was quick, was visual and it made me laugh. So I responded to him right away because it was, it wasn't a like, Hey, just following up again, wondering if you got this, what are your thoughts? It was something, you know, it created humor, which created a little bit more goodwill for me to want to be like, all right, yeah, let me actually respond to this.
0: Yep. Yeah. So and, – and, and once again, it's not like it was some, you know, some concept that took them four weeks to develop. It was, hey, this would be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Right, this, this is something that will convey what I'm saying in an image that might get an in- increased number of people to respond. And my guess is without that, they probably wouldn't have gotten a response from you. Uh, yeah,
1: they wouldn't have. And and I think there's a couple of things that you can kind of learn from that particular thing. One is that uh, to use humor in the workplace, you don't have to be the creator of humor. Right, you can be, you know, what I like say is the shepherd of humor. You can be a person that, like, if you find a funny meme online or an interesting TEDx talk or a great quotation or that kind of thing, you can share it. And you'd want to make sure that you give proper credit and not pretend like it's your own work. Right? Don't violate any copyright rules. But there's nothing wrong with if you find a funny clip online. Uh, and I do this all the time in networking because like, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I still get a little bit nervous with networking. I have no problem talking to a hundred people talking, you know, in a small group is a little bit harder for me, but I like to follow up with people. And what I'll bring up is if we're having a conversation about something and it reminds me of standup that I've seen before. Like, so I love Eddie Izzard. Um, and he has a great bit on cake or death. And basically it's him imagining this world where people have to choose between cake or death. And him acting it out, and everyone is choosing cake, much to you know this guy's surprise. Um, and it's just a kind of funny like, line. And so if, that, if something comes up in conversation in a networking event, I'll be like, oh, that reminds me of this. Have you guys seen this clip? And if they're like, no, it's like, oh, that should be like, hey, give me your email information, and I'll send you that link. It's like definitely worth checking out. Right? And I've now just told a networking person that I'm going to follow up with them. I'm getting their contact information, and now they're actually going to look forward to the email that I send, not because it's going to be, hey, here are my services and hire me, but hey, here's something funny that is going to help lighten up your day. And I didn't create Cake or Death, and I'm not like stealing it and pretending like it's mine. I'm sending a link to Eddie Izzard actually performing it and still getting kind of the benefits of humor in that scenario.
0: Love it. Love it. So, so yeah,
1: we'll include a we'll include a link to that on your uh your page as well so people can check it out cuz it's a great bit.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I just I just made note of that like okay, we we got to include that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And 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 obviously you're sharing something that isn't going to be offensive to people. You're not sending right. something mm-hmm. that's like, "Oh, here's something that 34% of the population will find funny. The rest of the population Will find this totally offensive. I hope I have the right thirty four percent. Right, you know, you're you're being very judicious about what you're sharing.
1: Yeah, and that speaks to you know one of the things being practical kind of about how you're using humor is uh, I think of it in terms of your humor map, right? So your map is your medium, audience, and purpose. Where medium is how are you going to execute that humor? Is it an email that you're sending out? Is it a meeting? Uh, you know, is it a one-on-one conversation? Who is the audience? Um, not only what do they know, what do they need, what do they expect, but also what's your relationship to them? Like, you know that if there's a a client that you've been working with for ten plus years and you've gone out to happy hours together and got to know pretty well, you know that that's a different level of humor that you can use than someone that you're meeting for the very first time. And then the last reason, most important reason is your purpose. Why are you using humor? Is it back to, oh, I want to improve my communication skills or, oh, I want to help to solve this problem or, oh, I want to uh, improve my you know influence and leadership, et cetera, right? Like once you – when you know those three things, that's how you pick the humor that not only is funny but also appropriate for the context.
0: Yeah, and, and I know there are different – I love that acronym MAP and, and we'll make sure the show notes have got that also of medium, audience, and purpose. I know there are different styles of of comedy, and I don't necessarily know what they are, but I see different things, and I think, well, that's a different type of humor than this. So, can you break down some of that?
1: Yeah. So the pro- I think one of the most helpful way to think about like structuring humor is uh, four styles that were defined by psychologist Rod A. Martin, and he says you know there's four overarching styles. Uh, the You know, the first is affiliative humor and affiliative humor is positive, inclusive humor. And I think of it like Ellen DeGeneres. Everything on Ellen's show, it's like fun, it's upbeat, it's positive, it's people dancing or whatever. In the workplace, it translates more into like um, happy hours or team building activities or things where everyone is included. Uh, then there is self-enhancing humor. Self-enhancing humor is a positive form of humor and the focus is yourself. And so this is... It's kind of like a uh, Kurt Vonnegut's quote that says that laughter and tears are equal responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. <laughs> and so it's about your perspective saying, "Hey, this is a slightly stressful situation. I'm going to make it more fun." This is, you know, reading emails and an accent in your head. Um, then there's self-defeating humor or self-deprecating humor. that's a negative form of humor where the target is yourself right? This is great for leaders. Um, this is great whenever you're in a high status position to kind of let your, let people know that you don't take yourself too seriously. Um, so it's certainly great for speakers as well. Just kind of say, Hey, yeah, I'm a human and maybe I'm up here in front of a thousand people, but I also recognize that that doesn't make me, you know, super special or anything like that. And in fact, you know, I joke that I'm, you know, in my mid thirties and I still get called ma'am on the phone. Um, <laughs> so like you can poke fun at yourself. And then there is aggressive humor, and aggressive humor is a negative form of humor where the target is someone else, and this is where sarcasm and satire uh, come into play and it's It's a harder style to use in the workplace. It's great for catharsis, it's great when, with a group of friends, but it's harder to pull off. Uh, but I will say that the difference between something being aggressive and something being affiliative or being self enhancing sometimes is solely your relationship with the audience or with that person, so like you know, at least with my group of friends, we playfully rib each other all the time, kind of make fun of each other all, all, all the time. We're not upset about it. It's just part of, um, you know, the fact that we've known each other for so long. Or same thing with an audience. If you're talking with an audience and you've built up a good rapport and people recognize that, you know, you're just making kind of uh, light of the situation and stuff like that, you can be a little bit playful in those scenarios and people kind of build that trust. It's also a popular form in the UK. One of the things that I chat with a lot of times with people coming from the UK is they're like, Wow, my normal use of sarcasm and satire, I had to tone down a little bit when meeting people for the first time in the U.S. just because culturally things are a little bit different.
0: Building the right sales talent in your organization can be a challenge. I mean, how do you know which candidates are going to do well and which ones aren't, and even which questions to ask in the interview process to figure it out? Well, you don't have to struggle with it anymore. The people at Peak Sales Recruiting have come up with a free sales interview guide. And if you need help finding the right candidates, these guys are total rock stars at finding those right candidates and helping them understand why they'd be better off working for you than somebody else. To get their free guide and to learn more, visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian. So we've got these four different styles of humor in terms of affiliative, self-enhancing, self-deprecating, and aggressive. And I think that the, that, that aggressive side of it like you said, a lot of it comes down to how much rapport you've built. So I know there's times where on stage there are certain things that I wouldn't do at the beginning of a talk that I would incorporate later on in a talk. Like I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't openly criticize or even sarcastically talk about somebody else's approach um, in the beginning of a talk. But as the talk goes on and I've built rapport with the audience and someone says, well, here's the way I would approach it. You know, I might I might say to them, "Oh," and I'm sure you're just crushing it with that approach, aren't you? And it's like everyone to laugh, and it's just it's something that everyone can relate to. We kind of laugh about it, but early on, it would feel like an attack. But now that we're buddies, it's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and there is something to that, like in the sense of I don't know. With my group of friends, it's kind of like if we're not making fun of you, it means we're not comfortable with you yet. And that's partially just a style thing and, and uh, maybe it's a cultural thing as well. And it's not to say that you use that all the time and the goal is to be making fun of people everywhere. But it's just recognizing that, you know, like you said, there are different styles of humor that are appropriate for different reasons and that are like, you know, that you do it for, for different goals.
0: Yep, and I, I love the structure that you put behind this. So it's not it, – it's, it's illustrating that, look, humor can be taught. It can be learned. It's not just well either you're funnier or not, and 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 knowing you, I could believe that your friends would say, "Well, he's just not funny," or wasn't <laughs> at a certain point in in time. And then, of course, those of us who know you and see you perform, it's like one of the funniest people we know. So how does that happen? Well, you broke down the science and and learned how to do it.
1: Yeah, and my you know it's my belief that anyone can learn to be funnier. Yeah. Right. Like I won't I won't quantify it to say that everyone can learn to be funny, right? Like a universal funny like you you uh, you're not necessarily going to like be able to go on to, uh, you know, and do a Netflix special. But I do believe that anyone can have a base point where they start and then get a little bit better because that's any skill that you learn. Right. And it's like it's like that skill. And and one of the things that I think that is is helpful for people to kind of realize is, is there's something called if you've ever had that experience where like you're in a meeting or you're in a conversation and then a few hours later you think of like oh i could have said this thing. Yeah. Right? Like has that ever happened sure. to you? Sure, absolutely. Right. Um so that's called something called staircase wit or staircase <laughs> humor. And it's the idea that yeah, like later in the meeting when you're in the stairwell that's when you think of it. And that's actually a good thing because what it means is that you have comedic instinct, right? You had this idea and through practice and repetition by thinking about it you can – and working on it, you can take that kind of ha moment from happening four hours later to only three hours later to only two hours later to like then happening in the moment. And so one of the things that I truly believe is that reflection on the past leads to action in the future because you're now prepared and ready for that moment. And that's true for all types of different skills but humor being one of them.
0: Cool. What's the, what's the inverse of that? Because sometimes I catch myself where something comes up, I say something and later I think – Oh man, I shouldn't have said that.
1: <laughs> What's that called? Uh, that's that's a staircase regret. Regret, maybe. Oh, okay, that's,
0: <laughs> right. that's what it is. So it's like yeah. stair, staircase remorse.
1: It's like, right, remorse. oh yeah, yeah I probably one.
0: shouldn't have said that. <laughs>
1: like, but it's like a learning process. And and the other thing that is interesting is that like you know it's kind of like how our friend, um, Clay Herbert talks about the perfect introduction or other things. There's certain situations that we know that we're constantly going to be in and yet we still don't prepare for. So like Clay talks about it with the perfect introduction where he knows that in your lifetime, you are for, you're a thousand times going to be asked the question, what do you do? And almost every single time we either stick with the same boring answer or we just kind of like wing it each time. Yep. And the same is true for humor If you know, the same, like, you know, you're always going to give this response to people, or, you know, in your sales calls that you're going to have these conversations and these things come up so you can practice them and just start to tweak them over time. And then anytime you get a laugh in conversation or in a presentation, you you can make a mental note about it and be like, okay, that story got a laugh. Why was that? Let me like add that. And so now I know the next time I do this presentation, I'll tell that story again and I'll get a laugh there and then maybe I'll start to expand on it and build off of it. And that's – because that's exactly what comedians are doing is they go in and they get on stage a lot so that they can kind of evolve jokes over time. It's not I wrote, sit down once, wrote it down and everything is perfect. But it's just kind of – you're going to do the conversations anyway. You might as well start to explore ways to have more fun with them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I remember there's a, there's a bit in one of my talks that – during this bit, people will always laugh. And it took me about 20 times delivering it that the part they were really laughing at was not the part that I thought was funny. It actually was just after the part I thought was funny. Mm -hmm. And it took me 20 times to have the awareness that said, oh, it's that other part that's really funny to them, not the part I think is funny.
1: Yeah, in which case, like, you know, especially early on, depending on your style of humor, one of the things that I had to – to learn is not to step on your own laughter. And what that means is that when you say a joke, there it takes time for people to process it and then after they process it they will start to laugh, but if you start talking again before they start to laugh or just as they start to laugh, they'll stop laughing because they want to hear what you're going to say next. Yeah. And so part of it is and that's that's what they talk about, you know, the the key to, you know, successful t- comedy is Timing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, terrible version of that joke, right? Um, but yeah, so that's what part of what they're talking about with timing is knowing how long that pause should be after like the structured and the, the setup.
0: Now, now, Drew, I've seen you do this live with audiences. And if you're up for it, I'd love to try it today, which is I, I, saw, I saw you speak at an event where you took somebody's story and then you helped them kind of craft it to make it funnier um, than it was before. Or really just kind of pick apart the different elements of humor and different strategies on how you can use the science that you take to this, and to have it take different angles. Is that something that you are up for doing? With uh, yeah, let's this do episode? it. All right, cool. Let's give it a go. All right, so I'm in I'm in your capable hands. You just tell me what you want me to do, and uh, and I'll do my best to make it happen.
1: Yeah, so I would say start with uh something that you've maybe uh done before and and start to go into it and I'll let you go a little bit and then afterwards we can uh kind of talk and break it down or I might ask a couple of clarifying questions to to go but we'll at least kind of parse what humor exists and then also potential opportunities to expand on it.
0: All right, cool. And and I think that the in in fairness so our so that our audience understands this is something that we're we're going to do this on the fly and you know, in the in the few minutes we're gonna do this, it's probably not gonna go from, well, that was good to oh my god, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. The idea is just to understand the science that goes behind this to see how you take something from wherever it is to make it funny er.
1: Right, exactly. And to understand that it is an iterative process. It is something that okay, you hear it, you try a couple of things and because the the humor is interesting and, and specifically comedy is interesting because it's very simple. The litmus test on whether or not something is funny is if it made someone laugh. <laughs> and the thing that's hard about it is sometimes as a comedian, you're like this exactly to what you talk about. This punchline is going to kill and you get up and there's no laughter. And then other times you say something as like a throwaway line and it becomes the funniest part of that entire segment. Like I do. I talk about, again, that I'm a type A blue square conscientious INTJ with the sign of Aquarius <laughs> which means that I'm an ambitious, an ambitious, stubborn introvert who likes long walks on the beach <laughs> by myself.
0: By myself. <laughs>
1: and that last line by myself was the throwaway line after I had already done that joke like five or six times, maybe even more than that. And it's just something kind of that I was thinking of. And that's the biggest laugh of that entire kind of setup and punchline. So now I make sure to include it. But that was something that I never like sat down and was like, oh, this is going to kill. It was just kind of a – you know, something said in the moment. And so, yeah, it's that iteration as it goes forward. So exactly. Yeah. So we'll talk about it. We'll get to the starting point and we'll
0: see what happens. All right, cool. So the, the, and, and the, the context of this is just when, when I'm speaking to audiences, it'll often be, look, we've all had these great meetings and we come out of these great meetings and we share with people what made it so great. And it usually sounds like this, man, At this amazing meeting, the meeting was supposed to last for only 20 minutes, and instead it lasted for an hour. And the two of us, man, when we got together, we just totally clicked. We connected, and we've agreed that next week we're going to meet again. And that would be a great meeting if it had been set up on Match.com. But it is the definition of a good business meeting. Yeah, and, and so even
1: just to stop you right there, because you, there's a couple of great things that you're, you're doing already, right? And one is that you are setting up um, – you, know, you nail it at the end of like basically this – what we would say is an association between meetings and dates. And once you have that association, there's – then you can easily brainstorm or do something what I call a 10 by 10 matrix where like list 10 things out about meetings and 10 things out about dates. And that's going to give you a brainstorm list of – and you might already go into this after this, but it gives you a brainstorm list where it's like, oh, what are other ways that we can relate um, you know, meetings to dates, whether they're positive and or negative, right? Or what's what's good in a date but not good in a meeting? So like you said, it going over a little bit, um, you setting up another one, um, it being one-on-one, et cetera. So you can like kind of find these opportunities for a little bit more. Alcohol is involved probably much better for dates than meetings, um, you know, other examples of that. I think the other thing is, as you already start to talk, right, and I and I know from your kind of delivery there's multiple ways to do this, but you can say, you know, we were in a meeting and it was supposed to only go 20 minutes, but it went for, right, like here, um, there's multiple opportunities, which one, I know you sometimes let the audience fill in the blank, which is a great thing to do, um, and I'd be curious about your experience with that, but first, the other thing that you can do is, so exaggeration is part of what makes things funnier. Yeah. So you can say, you know, it went for 20 minutes, but instead it went all the way for six days. Yeah. Like if you pick, if you pick something so extreme that people know, okay, it's not, we're now having a little bit of fun and jest, um, you know, then it, then you can kind of like start to, uh, to build off of that. But I'm curious, cause I know you do this. What are, what are the reactions that you get when you leave a pause for people to fill in the blank with we went from 20 minutes to blank.
0: So so, I'll, I'll say meeting was supposed to last only twenty minutes. Instead, it lasted four. And I pause for the audience, and people will shout out an hour. Two. There's almost in almost every audience, someone late to the response says two hours, <laughs> right? And, and, and which which can only really makes it funnier. And then to me I'll usually say, wow, two hours. Now that's a great meeting. <laughs> because right. because it's just the the irony of it, like, oh yeah, because it was a longer meeting, somehow it was better.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting so about that is as you get used to these reps, right, it becomes planned spontaneity in this sense where it's like you know when you say that, the audience is gonna fill in the blank for an hour for you. And if something different happens, so two hours, you now have a line or multiple lines that you can use. And to the audience, this is a like, wow, that was completely spontaneous in the moment. But you know that that's going to come up. It's the same thing with like Q&A, where as you've been doing these types of things longer and longer, whether they're pitches or presentations, you kind of know the questions that you're going to get. And every now and then you're maybe thrown off by like one or two and you get to think a little bit more about them. But a lot of times you already know, oh, I know I'm going to get this question so you can plan for having these types of responses to be able to, like, make that even funnier, right, Uh, or to try it. And maybe one time you try the joke of, wow, two hours, that's a good meeting, or two hours, what are you talking about? Like, you might try multiple (laughs) ones and see which one either you like the best that you think is the most fun or that gets the biggest reaction.
0: Yeah, and then there's always the stuff I add just for me. Like, I don't care if the audience likes it or not. I like this part, so I include it. (laughs)
1: Oh, for sure. I do the exact same thing. Where it's like there is there's a joke in uh, my TEDx talk and that I do in my my keynote as well, where I talk about how you know humor doesn't replace the work, and so I make the analogy that humor is kind of like the salt of a meal. Right, you still need the base part of the meal. You wouldn't need an entire meal of salt because that would make you a horse. <laughs> and do you want to be a horse? I say nay. And in my TEDx talk, the only person that laughs is my mom. You can hear like laughing my mom. It's so great. But I do that in my keynote, and I know that either either people a lot of people will laugh at it, in which case I'll say, Oh well, you guys all like that, I'm on board. Or one person will laugh at it, and then I'll be like, okay, this joke is just for me and him. Or no one will laugh at it. And then I'll just say, I don't care if you like that guy's joke. That, if you guys like that joke, that's my favorite joke. And that's why I, I'm controlling the presentation. So I'm going to include it. <laughs> and so it shows self awareness, gets another laugh. And that's part of the, you know, one of the biggest, one of the reasons why I started using humor in the workplace is, um, is I remember being in a meeting when I was at PNG. So I was a project manager at Procter Gamble. And I re- remember being in a meeting and I was incredibly bored. And I realized the problem was that I was the one leading the meeting. (laughs) And it's like, if I'm bored talking, they've got to be bored while listening. And so that became a prompt for me to be like, you know, what? I don't want to be bored in my own meeting. So let me do these own things to make it more fun. To your point, with these presentations, let me do jokes that I think are funny to me. And what you're going to see is that people are going to resonate with that a lot more.
0: Absolutely. Brilliant. So drew so much great wisdom here and I'll recap it for everybody. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing, learn about your books, the TEDx talk, everything else.
1: Yeah, so you can uh, – if, you, if you're if you on the social media and if you like wordplay, I, I tweet um, and post puns all the time. So I'm on all the social media as uh, Drew Tarvin. Um, so that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. certainly can reach out that way. Uh, Andrew at com is the email, or HumorThatWorks.com is the, the website where there's plenty of resources to get started on using humor if that's something of uh, – interest. And I'd say, yeah, those are the, uh, the main starting points. We talked uh, a little bit before the call on weird phone numbers. Uh, my, my office number is six, four, six, five, four, drew eight. Um, dumb way to remember it, but, uh, yeah, all that contact information is, uh, we'll share with it, but I'm, I'm more than happy to chat with people on, on humor and how they can get started.
0: Fantastic, man. Really appreciate you sharing all this great stuff. Um, I learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else did too. So thanks again, Drew.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Drew has so much amazing insight when it comes to humor in business. Let me give you a quick 30 second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, humor is not the same thing as comedy. And Drew's goal is not to make you funny, it's to help make you funny er. There are four different styles of humor affiliative, self enhancing, self deprecating, and aggressive. You have to be careful to know your audience well enough to know which one applies in which situation. Also, humor is a skill, which means it can be taught. It isn't something you're innately born with. And I love Drew's approach to humor of that map metaphor of determine which medium you're going to use, who your audience is, and what the purpose is. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover, a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.